Look, look into the camera. Just look at us now. Look at you guys. It's okay. a normal conversation. Okay. Just as long as you got that mic. See, when you're talking. I got it. Can you guys hear me? That's where you need to be at. Right there? Yeah. Right. You can just move it closer to you. As long as you guys can hear me. Yeah, it's got to be like that. All right. Because it's got to be clear. You sound great. We're not messing around. We're not fucking around with the audio here. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Jimmy right. screwed we, up the audio. Are we so hot mic? Yeah, we, we're always okay, hot Okay, guys. Well, right. Jimmy, I know you got to rub the dust off of them old bones of yours because we're back in action today. Jimmy was sending out resumes. He was looking for a new <laughs> yeah. job. Jimmy, is, is Jimmy the... Uh, He's our video. He's over here. You'll see. Oh him. yeah. Okay. I got yeah. You. He's right. our video producer slash trash guy. I got you. Right. On the verge of being fired. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Jimmy. <laughs> um, you guys can't tell. Not the man in the mirror. We are super stoked. We. This is episode fifty. First of all, Hayden, I'm excited to be here on episode. F- get, can you give us a round of applause. I think. I think so, Jimmy. Can you hook us up with that? Maybe. Maybe not. Let's see what we got cooking. Look at that. There we go. A little bit of crowd noise. So, welcome. He gets to work another day. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Unscripted Exchanges, episode 50, and we're coming in hot. I'm Cole. Hayden. And today, we are super, super excited. You've already heard him chirping in the background. A lot of energy. A lot of energy hitting the room today. My dad, Joey Hazenfield, is on the set with us. And I could not be more excited. My dad's been a mentor of mine. He has started his own companies. He's been an amazing father, amazing role model. So just having him on here, there's a little bit of like me that's like super like my heart's racing because I'm so happy about it. Yeah, I'm just super stoked. So glad to have you on here today. Don't get me crying. Thanks for for getting on. (laughs) Don't pour on Uh, too much. And um, just want to say, yeah, just thank you for coming on, Dad. This is is awesome. This is awesome. I think we've got a... uh, Fun episode. So I can't believe how much money we had to pay, dude. I, and he said he, he was giving in us, the mail. Dude, right? he said he was giving us a discount. My savings account's been cleared oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> sure. He said that didn't cover it, but we give him like a percentage yeah. of the company. He's like, I'll just take a royalty. Yeah. He played Shark Tank on us. I'm like, you're my dad. Yeah, yeah. non confidentiality. Mm-hmm. I own the rights. Folks, yep. this is going to be a when everybody gets f- bad advice and they come back and say, I watched that unscripted exchanges that. Your dad was on there, and he said to do this, and I did that, and now I'm bankrupt. (laughs) This is going to be an action-packed episode, super fun, super educational, all of the above. Mm -hmm. Let's get started. Yeah, so the first thing, I mean, there's so many avenues we could go with this, but one of the things that I, Hayden, we've talked about this, we've been, we talk about entrepreneurial journey and right motivation and, and failure, and these kind of like... These, these different things flow throughout Unscripted. That's part of our brand. That's part of who we are, right? Mm-hmm. Is you fail, you fail, you fail, you get back up, you keep fighting. And what I think is really cool about my dad's journey is how he's got into entrepreneurship, why he got into it, how he got into it. And I'm not going to spill the beans, but I'm going to let him tell tell you. I want you, to, I want you, Dad, I want you to take us back. We're going to start at the very beginning. I want you to take us back to the first company you started. Can you tell me, like, you know, how old were you? What was the company? Why did where did the idea come from? Are you asking a day by day for the last no like, no no just four thousand days? This is good. I'm yeah. getting them ready because I know exactly where to go with this. Yeah. Where where did you what did you start with? What was the first company? How old were you? Kind of just give me that. Yeah. Give me that 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 story. So the first back first backdrop. The first thing I'll tell you guys is, I think back. So my mom and dad had uh, with my uncles, uh, Double J Running C Stables. So I, I say. 
that my trip started when I was a kid because it was open to the public. So we lived in Kenwood. We would go out to the farm on the weekends, and it was called Double Jack Running Sea Stables. And this is a place where it was like when they bought the place, it was like an old building, and there was a old house there, and that was it. Yeah. And so Dad had the idea that it was genius. And his two brothers, Jim and Charlie, they thought, we want all the kids to grow up to know each other. And so they thought, okay, let's buy a farm together. And we'll all go out there every weekend and camp out, and then we'll all grow up together. That was their game plan. Genius plan. Because I can tell you that everybody, that all my cousins, all of them are successful business people. All of them. And it's an incredible story. You'll hear me talk about that a little bit today. But I remember, like, one day I told Cole I'm going to write a book that's called Concession Stand in the Woods. I really believe that's where it started. Because... My dad would every year negotiate either with Pepsi or Coke. He was always pitting them against each other. <laughs> and we were all in the middle of this. And he would, because he wanted to get better signs, better stuff at the farm. Because back then, Pepsi and Coke were going at each other. They still do. But, I mean, they were really, like, going at each other. Mm-hmm. So my dad would leverage it because we sold a lot of pops so, out there. So I want to cut you off. So, so for, just for our listeners to know, Double J Running Stables was like a, it was like a dude ranch almost. Yes. Where they had... All sort like horses, deer, buffalo. This was a place where you could go out to, bring your kids, bring your family, and spend the day or spend the weekend. Yes, it's an unbelievable. In fact, when I tell people about it, it's like okay, whatever. And then when I whip the pictures out, they're like, "That's unbelievable." I actually have a picture in my study over the fireplace. It's got my dad in the middle of the, of the parking lot of the place, and you look at that, and you go, "Wow, it's unbelievable." In fact, he was the one who came up with the idea, like. Every year he was trying to come up with something more to bring people out there. And so the idea was, let's bring some exotic animals in. So we used to go to Michigan, of all places. Yeah. We'd buy elk, buffalo, deer. We had English fallow. We had Japanese psycho deer. I used to go up there as a kid. I was like, we, we'd be like, all right, you get the next <laughs> shot. My brother and I and my cousins, we would be like, okay, I get to shoot the next one. And we'd shoot it. He took, a, he took a cattle truck. My dad took a cattle truck and my uncles and took it into this barn. They said, we're going to be able to haul exotic animals in it. So they literally, like one day, they're out there talking. They're like, let's take that cattle truck. Let's extend the roof. Let's put a, a top on it. We'll use that to haul animals back with. That's how it happened. So my story, my my journey started young, seeing my dad and my uncles just do stuff. I mean, my dad would be like at a Frisch's. We always stopped at Frisch's in New Richmond or in here in Anderson. Mm-hmm. And he would like draw on a, on a napkin an idea. Like he said, we're going to build a stagecoach. And we're thinking, oh, my God, here we go. We didn't even finish the last wagon. We were building a, a yellow wagon. And he's like, pull that out of the barn. This is a better idea. We're going to build a stagecoach. So next thing you know, we're all building stagecoaches. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I will say that the journey started there. So it was like myself and all of our uh, mm-hmm. cousins. We all grew up seeing – we were there seeing it. A concession stand in the wood was – we each had a concession stand assigned to us. The concession stand was this metal barn. It was out in the middle of the woods where we had trails. Every year we would – mark like a hundred trails for trail riding. So the, the core of the, of the farm was boarding horses and trail riding, mm-hmm. but it was open to the public. Mm-hmm. So every Saturday, me and all my cousins, we would saddle all the horses. We'd have them all ready for everybody to come up. This was a destination place. This was a cool place to go. And, you know, in future episodes, we can get into it for, further. It's a really cool story. It's a funny story, things that happen. But I will tell you that I learned, I got my concession stand and dad said, here's your cash box. Here's all your inventories. We had Clark bars, all the candy, all the pops, hamburgers and hot dogs. We would go out there. So when people came riding along, it was my job to greet them, just like everybody who ran a concession stand, all the cousins. Mm -hmm. But I learned the basics of business right then because I couldn't wait 
to like greet them and sell them something. Because guess what? This is the funny part. My dad one day was talking to a customer that was out there, and the guy said, I love this place. This is great. But, man, you guys charge 15 cents for a candy bar. That's just high. <laughs> and it's supposed to be 10 cents. <laughs> and dad goes to me later, and he goes, did, uh, what are you charging for candy bars? <laughs> and my dad was big on, like, never, ever lie. You you were, like, way better. I could do some of the stupidest thing you can think of. You could do it. Yeah, don't lie. And tell him he wouldn't get mad. He'd get mad, but if he's, like, it was, you know. Well, I'm like, well, Dad, I was sort of like eating the inventory, so I had to like get it back. So I raised prices. I figured I had them cornered there out there on the trail. And years later, he told me, I was. He's like, I couldn't be mad at you. He's like, he didn't do anything to me. He just like, don't do that anymore. And he walked off. But he said secretively, I thought that kid's a genius. That was a great idea. <laughs> so that's so awesome being so, exposed to you know running a business at su- yeah. such a young age. How how old would you say you were when you oh, first? I was, I was riding my I would ride my pony midnight out there and tied off behind this. So I was going to say I was probably eight or nine, ten. Oh my goodness, like I was young. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a pony named Midnight. That would, that pony tried everything to kill me on the trail. <laughs> that pony and me were like. I have a picture I've shown Sean Cole and the kids that. Like the only thing onier than the pony was me in the picture. <laughs> you could see it was him or me. Yeah. Gonna, that, that pony tried to take me out a million times. So, anyways, so fast forward. Um, so all through high school, Jamie and I and all of our buddies, we all had Jeeps and Broncos. We all ran together. We all wore cowboy boots. We were like uh, inseparable pack. And and so one of the things we did was we did anything we could do to make extra money around the farm. So we cut firewood. I I think one year we did like 150 cords of firewood. It was crazy. One of my buddy's dads had this old truck we called Leaping Lena. And, uh, or what was the name of that truck? Maybe it wasn't Leaping Lena. That was a farm truck that Greg nicknamed Leaping Lena. But it was a, it was a truck, old, old truck, 1966 or something. And, and uh, he sold it to us. He was a super nice guy, unbelievable guy. And we all started doing firewood together and we built up. And I had like $15,000, I think, totally saved by the time I came around to go to school. And back then, there was no internet, no cell phones. you got to remember, this was back when there was really, compared to the today, there was no technology. And so I did not want to go to school. Did not want to go to school. College, you're talking about. College. college. Yeah, college. Yeah, okay. yes. Got to go to college today. I'm not an advocate of not going to college. You have to. But I did not want to go. So I was going to UC. I was in my second semester. And one of the professors said, hey, Come up with a business. I took a business class. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only thing I kind of knew. Yep. And I said, come up with a business idea. So I came up with a, I, I found the Carterphone decision, 1979 Carterphone decision that said you could buy your own telephone system if you wanted. Wait, what is this? What's it called? The Carterphone decision. It was a guy named Carter who sued the phone company out in Kansas or some place. And he went to court and won that you could, it's called Interconnect. So my first company that my brother and I started when we were 20. I was 19, he was 20, was an interconnect. An interconnect meant you could go in and take the phone companies because everybody was renting phones. That's a sure. picture of Monopoly. Like, this is like the electric company, okay? So picture the electric company today, okay? And everybody gets their electric from the company. And I know that you can get aggregators now, but just picture back yeah. everybody. Yeah. In business, you didn't think about not getting the phones from the phone company. When you went into business, you just made a phone call. You called Cincinnati Bell. They brought out and hooked it up. And you got the bill whether you liked it or not. That, that's what you were paying. There was no thought about it. Here I come riding along. I read about the Carterphone decision, and I wrote a paper that said I'll compete with them. I'll go get phone systems, and I'll, I'll compete with them. 
And I asked my dad, because he was working for Cincinnati Bell at the time, on the residential side, I said, do you know anywhere anybody's bought a phone system? And he said, well, Keebler Cookie Company put in some private system. They just got it. I'm like, can you get me in there? He's like, yeah, I can get you in there. He's like, uh, you know, I'm getting close to retirement. We're going to be sneaky about it. But yeah, I can get you in there. I'm like, okay. He's like, okay, well, meet me down here. So I had my Bronco. So I met him down there outside the gate. We went in there. I crawled around the back of the, of the unit that was in the back there because he was there. Because he used to say, Bell, they let him in. And it said Mitel on it in Boca Raton, Florida. So I wrote the phone number down. It was a 305. I remember that number. These are things you don't forget, right? <laughs> so I call it. You know, I'm 20 years, I'm 19 years old. I don't know anything. So I call it and I say, I want to sell. How do I sell your phone systems? I want to get them. I want to sell them. It's like, well, you, you got to buy them through Graybar. Well, I'm like, who's Graybar? Graybar Electric. It's a wholesale place. All right. So I called them. They say, come down, fill out a credit app, blah, blah, blah. I go down there. And I remember the sales guy, his name was Phil, another guy you don't forget. First guy I ever got credit. First guy that, you know, explained it to me. Inside sales guy. Little did I know, he wanted to make the sale, right? So... I uh, And I didn't know I was a salesman yet. This is crazy. I didn't know I was a born salesman. I didn't know that I had the tools and talents to be a salesperson. And I didn't realize completely what I was doing, but I knew that I had to sell people phone systems because it made sense. Why would you rent something that you could own, right? So one of the themes I would say that you'll hear me talk about was if you're going to go into business for yourself, the first thing is pick a good industry. I landed on a good industry, not because I'm some genius. It's just because I had to write a paper and I figured I found something that was new. And I, I would tell you, I really didn't know what I had, but you'll hear my story as I grew quick, I quickly figured it out. And so the thing was like, how do I get the phone system? So I called down the only time I've ever ridden a Greyhound bus and I'm not knocking Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> Greyhound, don't don't hate on yeah, those Greyhound the executives. Put your fingers in your I, I've never ridden one since then. That was the worst. So I called down there. <laughs> like that. So, so I called down there and I said, I don't want to sell your stuff. They told my gray bar. I called a gray bar. He said, oh, You got to get certified. I'm like, What do you mean I get certified? You have to go down there and take their course. I'm like, Okay, that can't be that bad. So I called them back. Three weeks, three week course. I'm like, Okay, it's a three week course. No problem. Boca Raton, Florida. I'm 19. Party time. I'll go down there. No yeah, you're problem. like, this is a no I'm ready. <laughs> so my brother, I'm like, dude, I got to take some money from the company. I got to go down there. I gotta... So he's like, okay. So I forget what he was doing. I mean, he was busy doing stuff. We were we were setting up the office. Oh, before that happened, I thought I was young. I needed an office. So I found a building on Beachmont that we later bought. We own it today. And I rented it for 500 bucks. It was a Beachmont Billiard, record, Beachmont Billiard Pool Hall. And the guy that owned it before it went under lived upstairs. Mm. So I rented the front of the building for 500 bucks a month because I thought, well, if I want to be in business, like I have a business card, yep. need a business name, got to have an office. I mean, back then, you didn't work from home. You didn't have the internet. I mean, you had you had an office. You got a business card. Right. That was just I mean? the way it was. I mean, that's, yeah. It was the way it was. Yeah. It, it so was. in my mind, I'm like, I got an office, got a place. And Jamie and I just ended up sleeping in the back room. We're like, well, we'll just sleep at the office. I mean, we'll rent the place. We'll sleep there. That's what we did. And we'll play pool in the back. There was two pool tables back there. So we played pool. Everybody's came out. It was great. They're going to school. You see, you know, I figured a way out of that. Talked to Jamie. We both said, let's do this. We did it together. He eventually did more of the operations side. I became the sales arm because I eventually figured out that I was, like, good at it. Yeah, but when – so I got a question for you. So you say, like, you didn't know. You were – you didn't – like, you didn't ever – when did when did it click with you that – 
and I, this is a this is a question. I've never asked you this question. We've talked right. about. I mean, for our listeners and Hayden, we go back and forth on sales tactics. Yeah. All the time. I mean, it, deals we're working. Deals. They his sales guys are working. Deals I'm working. I mean, I've he's mentored me forever, and we go back and forth. And I think I teach him. I think I teach him stuff. Maybe maybe or maybe not. He tells me I do. That's all that counts for me. But um, when you said like like when did you realize okay. I can really run with this sales thing. Like, was did it just happen? And you look back on it later. No, it was pretty quick. I or did say, you go? Holy smokes! I was I'm pretty I was good. Slow on the uptake, but I quit by, by 20, 22 or twenty three. I was in gear. I knew, like, so the first thing I went to was like I wanted to sell it, so I knew I had to get it. And that's hard to remember back this far. And then, you know, when you're nineteen and twenty, I mean, I don't even I, remember what I had for breakfast. I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> it's hard to, to look back, but I will say I had drive, no doubt about it. Sure, I was driven. And I had this idea that I knew I had to be able to sell it. And then I really wasn't sure where that was going to lead exactly. But I knew that people that were, I mean, logically, if you're renting something, you can buy it. This is where the genius came in a little bit. I did a couple things right. And one of the things I realized was I need a big name. I need somebody right in town knows. Right. First thing I thought was go right. To the, I'm going to go. And this is where listeners, this is a thing that I figured out that look back is one of the most important things in sales is confidence. If the buyer perception is confidence, if, they, if they're confident in you, they'll buy it. And so perception's reality. What they think is what's real to them. And so my first thought was, if I'm gonna convince people to buy a phone system, Dr. Spalding on Beachmont Avenue was the first, he was an ophthalmologist, and he was the first one that said, I had done his house. Went over. He was. He needed work done. Cincinnati Bell was expensive to do residential wiring, which we didn't want to do. But I went and did his house. Did bro- you personally do the wiring? Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Oh my, my brother. There was only two of us to start. We were yeah. both doing the work. We were That's out. Fair. Yeah, you were selling it inst- and installing it and all selling that. Selling and installing. You were wearing many hats. Wait to hear the next one. Be out. Uh, so I did Doctor Spalding's office. It was like twenty eight hundred bucks. Thought this is great, right? And then, like immediately went from twenty eight hundred. My next deal was twenty two grand, right? So. You, you see my personality coming out a little bit because I went from if I can sell him one for twenty eight hundred, what's the next big target? Alan Bernstein at B and B Riverboats, and so I thought because it was the same tactic. Give me your phone bill. Let me look at what you're renting. I sized it up with the equipment that you needed and sold it to him. And for, in his case, Doctor Spalding's, it was a one A two mechanical key system. I don't want to get into the weeds too much on that, but that was the old school stuff. The Mitel was the new stuff. So the way it worked out was I actually went and got trained on the latest stuff. And the first person who bought the Mitel was Mac Tools. Everybody knows who Mac Tools is. I literally almost didn't get that thing installed. Me and my first employee and I, we about we were there like four in the morning trying to get that thing to work because I was the one that got certified on it. I couldn't remember how the programming worked. <laughs> I kept defaulting the switch trying to reprogram from scratch. Damn. And I had and I had hired this tech out of Dayton. He was the first tech Jamie and I had interviewed. We stole him away from a company called Daycom out of Dayton. So there was a phone company in Dayton. I was the first one in Cincinnati. And it's called PTS. We were the first one in Cincinnati. And, uh, but we were in a bubble because you remember there was not the internet. You didn't, you could have a competitor five miles down the street and you didn't even know it, right? Because sure. there was no flow of information. Right. There was zero. You got, I mean, I went and got magazines. I crawled down at Keebler and crawled behind the switch and got the phone number off the back to call to find out how to sell the phone system, right? I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but the point of it is that, um, you know, I knew that like, B&B Rearboats. Everybody knows I'm in town, right? Went to Allen. And, uh, so re- got- real quick, it sounds like what I'm hearing is you kind of put together a value prop for, for customers when you were selling, saying like, hey, 
why rent something when you can fully own this, right? Yeah. Okay. Almost idiot proof. Yeah. I mean, anybody that would have. So this is my first part is in industry. I had stumbled on a good industry. And then the second part of that is like the only competition I had was fear. People were afraid to leave the phone company. So when I look back, the smartest thing I did was I went right to the top, went right to B&B Rearboats, and then I went to the Reds, right? March shot. I still remember her walking around in her office, smoking a cigarette, and and she was like half paying attention, but she understood B&B Rearboats, and she understood that guy was paying two, over two grand a month, and I sold him a system for 22000 And so all he could hear was 10 months I had my money back. I'm free of Cincinnati Bell. And me and my brother and a guy named... Um, what was his name? So who was Mark Schott, though? You like name drop. Mark Schott? Yeah, she owned the Reds. She ran the Reds. You didn't know that. No. <laughs> you didn't know that? No. That's amazing. I mean, we yeah, all know Mark different Schott things. Yeah. So they owned Schott Chevrolet, yeah. and Mark Schott bought the Reds or bought controlling interest in the Reds. And so, yeah, I guess I was like, I was, we were over there working at BB Rearboats on the river. You could see the Coliseum the whole time. So to me, it was like, that's my next big target. I'm going from BB Rearboats at 22000 to a hundred grand unit to her. <laughs> So this is kind of how the story evolved. And so... So what happened, like, because uh, I see that, is that where you're going with it? What happened when you landed the, when you got the Reds and B&B Riverboats? Like, that gave you guys a name, Oh, right? my gosh. It was crazy. It was bonanza. So, I, like I said, by age 23, I had figured it out. And then I started doing, I met uh, the guy that owned T-Shirt City, Paul Newman. I swear to God, that's his name, Paul Newman. And uh, we sold him a phone system. Focus PBX. We had found we had we had stumbled onto the used PBX market. That's a private branch exchange. I don't want to get into weeds too far, but my brother and I were pretty creative. We started coming up with like because Jamie and I started talking to leasing companies in other cities. Like we went to Texas once on a trip and got a bunch of PBXs that people defaulted on the payments, couldn't pay for them. It was worth nothing, ten cents on the dollar. They didn't know what to do with them. We were one of the few guys in the country that actually knew how to program these things. So we, we were, Jamie and I were like, we we're all over it. So we're getting all these leasing companies and we're making these deals. My brother's an expert at buying stuff. That that guy can like he's the pro. So he was all over it. He was out there negotiating with them, and he get the PBXs. We'd go down to Texas and come back with a with a U-Haul full of PBXs. And then we had this tech we hired out of Dayton. Uh, his name was Doug Deniman, super nice guy. He was with us for 25 years, what, long, forever. I mean, he made a career out of work for us. And uh, he's passed away. But he was, like, a really cool dude, and he could program anything. That guy could figure out anything. You give him, give him a tech manual, and you had to get them. You had to buy the manuals for these things. You had to find some place to buy the manuals, get them from the factory. But we would put the PBXs in, sell them, growing, growing. You know, it was uh, – it was pretty, it was a, it was a fun time. So I'm hearing uh, you drop a few different phone systems. How many different systems did you guys begin with in the early days? Okay, so here's another part of the history. So I quickly, as we started getting competitors and other people started opening up, mm-hmm. and then people started showing up bidding against us. Yeah. I quickly figured out myself and my brother. I don't want to discount that he was he was in the middle of it too. Mm-hmm. We thought we need something that's exclusive. So I said, I'll find, you know, I was good. I was the finder. I said, I'll find the product. So I found this company called Awatsu. Stuff's made in Japan. Nobody had ever heard of them. I'm like, they're perfect. They're perfect. Because nobody else in town is selling Awatsu, and I want to be the guy selling Awatsu because it was an electromechanical system. It was actually a pretty advanced system. So I went out looking for companies. I'd already done Mitel. I already did ITT. 
By the way, Jamie and I went and got trained at ITT. We did a bunch of technical stuff. <laughs> I was doing it just so I could sell the stuff. I didn't really want to program it or put it in. I always. You just wanted to know enough to be dangerous. You I wanted, wanted to know, know enough to sell it. Yeah. You have to know the product to sell it. Whatever it is you're selling, there's a lot of people sell people today that think they can just half know the product and they can sell it. You got to know the product, especially a technical, especially a technical product. Definitely, definitely. You have to know what you're talking about. So, uh, yeah. So I mean, we we, you know, we went down that route. So I got a Watsu, and my number one goal was number one a Watsu distributor. So this was the driving force that was there. I was probably 24, 25. One of my clients that I had at the time, um, you know, it was one of the clients I had at the time was I said, I told you Paul Newman t-shirt city. And then I met another, uh, client that had another company that was doing like telesales. You gotta remember this was like, you sold stuff through call centers. Nobody, there was no smartphones or, you know, I remember when I got my first cell phone, it was a dollar a minute. It was in my first Jaguar. I had my first XJS Jaguar. The first one I had, I had two of them. The first one, so weren't the phones like as big like as like my arm? Back They're like then brief, too? briefcases, yeah. right? That you had to Build carry around. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, the first one I had built into the car because being in the phone business, I wanted to know the latest. So I was talking because I heard this wireless is coming. So dollar signs went off of my eyes, wireless, you know? And I didn't want it to interrupt what was already happening. Mm-hmm. We were already up to like 15 or 20 employees by now. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to disturb the flow here. So I wanted to keep an eye on wireless. I wanted to have it in my car, which was cool because nobody had them. And so things were cooking along, hiring sales reps. And we were, you know, we had time with these boards on the wall. We had 50 or 60 phone systems. We were, Jeff Weiler, I sold him the phone system. When the first one's out there, Joe Castrusi, I sold those guys. I was, I, I remember with Jeff Weiler, he was out there where the eggs are cheaper off of 32. It was him running the place. And again, that was another big name. And I knew that guy was going places, no doubt about it, because he understood marketing. Right. So, um, Kind of leads to another story, but I don't want to get too much of the tangent on that one. But it was it was really good. So I, I knew if I got the first car dealership to go with it, they'd all fall in line. So so let me did. ask you this because you're you're kind of I feel like you've touched on it that a lot, and right. this is it's something that we talk about a lot is, and you and it, I, I want to just Hayden, this is you'll think this is funny. So he has all years and years and years, and I, all of a sudden clicked with me like uh, like uh, maybe a year and a half ago. I never realized he understood marketing. Like I never really clicked with me. I'm like he understands sales. He understands sales, but like he just doesn't. Like my dad doesn't understand marketing. They didn't have marketing back then. And all of a sudden, it clicked with me that like all this stuff he's talking about. So why he's name dropping the Reds? Why did B and B riverboats? Why you right. why why you went out to the dealerships? It was marketing. It was literally so he yep. could say. I'm going to go to, right? I mean, am I, am I right? And I had the best-looking proposals, too. Yeah, totally. So I had leather-bound. I had our PTS logo embossed upon, like, you know, it's like $5 a binder or $10 a binder back then. I wanted to have, like, the classiest stuff because perception's reality. Again, this was some looking back at the young version of myself. I realized, like, I had stumbled on the key to successful business, and that was perception is reality. With today it's the best looking websites. Today it's the, you know it's 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 evolved. Oh, yeah. Yes, back then you're right because it's older people. I mean, I'm almost sixty. Older people, the younger generation, and I don't blame them. They just think okay, older people are probably not like in sync with the current, you know, marketing right, methods, right. etc. But yet, I was in sync, but it was at a different time. And but the basics are still the same. And I, and I would say to the listeners that the basics are still the same today. 
to me, 2022 is a rolling 20s. This is the time. I would love to be 23 again or 24 again. I would innovate. I mean, there's a million ways to make money today. Amen. And back then, there was a million ways to make money. Sure. You just had to look They were it. just different ways. Just different ways. They were different ways. Right. I think there's more today, and I think you can get richer faster today. I really... In the old days, my brother and I joke about this all the time. You, we had to work a lot. I mean, we we had to go to the office. We had like we had to do everything manually. I mean, our proposal. I had two, I had two secretaries doing shorthand. Now, let's picture this for a minute. Two for over ten years. They came into my office. I had I was I had so many deals going. I'd have two full time uh, uh, proposal generators or, or, or secretaries taking shorthand. I would literally have one come in and I'd give her shorthand cover letter. Blah 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 blah. This is this, this, go put this together. And then I have another one come in after that one, and I roll another one letter out. And I had it down to like a system. And then I thought, okay, one of the other things I did that was brilliant, I think I told him about this, was that I was so young, it was hard to trust me, right? So I found this guy, ran an ad in the paper, found this guy, 200 bucks funny. a week. He turned, yeah, he, he's a super, Bob Gauthier was his name. He, his job was to drive me around and stand there and look like the guy that knows everything. I'm the one that knew everything, but his job... <laughs> To go there like I was a trainee. Say, dude, you're the trainee. So we would you go out cold calling. You did not work the phones in the early, early days. People, when you called the phone, they it was not like hold on mail put you through. They would screen you, right? But walking into a business was okay. And so Bob and I would go out and his job was to be the old guy in the room and he was training me on how to sell phone systems when I was the guy. And then eventually <laughs> As the deal went along, they would find I'm the president. They'd figure it, you know, it would come out. I would never mislead somebody because if you lie to somebody, they're never going to buy from you. Sure, but you don't have to lead till they. Till you always like to say, you know, once I'm in the let, the, let seat, them let them think, let them come to whatever conclusion they want. Correct. You'll tell them if they ask. But let them yeah. let them perceive how they want to perceive. Yeah, it. yeah. And so, yeah. Later, as we get into my story, you're going to see like this same theme. So if you're when you're watching this and you're saying, "Hey, this is an entrepreneur that's done it twice. I've done it twice," and uh, You'll see the theme that I did it the first time with come again in the company, the other company I own called United Media. We're the third largest in the commercial music business today. And I did it again. And I used the same old tricks that I used back then. Perception's reality. I had a racing team. So this when, is cool. So when I, so Wait, when I, bought, so, this, when yeah. I bought this other music company, buddies of mine or, or clients of ours, we sold phone systems called Lion Creek Financial. They owned a big $20 million insurance company. And they kept having me over there all the time. And they were always asking me questions about marketing and sales and on and on. And I sold them phone systems. They had bought like three generations of phone systems from me. You know, they got them. I like these guys. But I've, like one day I'm like, why are you guys, like, why are you always asking me these questions? Well, we own this company over in Kentucky. And we just think the guy's an idiot that's running it. And we just, like, we need to fix it. Is there anyone we can hire you to fix it? I'm like, no, you can't hire me to fix it. I own a business. I'm not, I'm not up for a hire. Well, can you consult with us? I'm like, no, I don't do consulting work. I mean, you know. You guys have access to a lot of clients. You're an important client of mine. They were buying, you know, $100,000 switches from me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no. So eventually I was like, look, dude, if you guys ever want to sell it, call me. Otherwise, no free information. We joke, laugh, blah, blah, blah. And they got my life insurance. They got a bunch of shit from me, too. They were selling me stuff, too. It was the two owners that were running it. We were we got along good. So anyway, one day I get a call, and they're like, we'll sell it to you. And I'm like, I'm only interested if it's a fire sale. We'll sell it to you at a fire sale. I'm like, well, what's going on? It's like, come over here now. So I, I went over there. This is when my second Jag came in. Driving my first white Jag. I go over to his office. <laughs> go up to there. We're talking. And he's like, well, the president just left. And he took a bunch of equipment. And he took the employees. And he's saying he's going to take everything. 
I'm like, that sounds like a mess. He's like, it is a mess. He's like, we'll sell it to you. So, so what was the business that they were selling to you? So though? the business, so those guys were doing commercials on hold. They were doing what you called. It's called info hold. And if you called a business and they put you on hold, you would hear commercials. Right. We were already doing this at PTS. We were already doing what we called, um, what's the name of that? We had a name, business on hold. We already were doing commercials on hold. And then we stopped doing it. We were doing it for a while. Then we stopped because the one voice talent that we had uh, stopped doing it for us. So then it kind of fell apart. We didn't do it. But I always liked the concept. I always thought the concept was good. And so... Um, how, so I, real real quick, how do, how does one make money off of those commercials then? Like when people them. would... We had a studio. So for you to go get a studio, so we would make mini commercials. It would be... We would interview, look at the business and what you're doing. Think of it like... You call the business, you push the whole button. They either hear nothing or you plug the radio in. Yeah, I'm following. Okay. Yeah. So the idea was when you push the button, play commercials, play messages. You guys hear them today. You're on hold messages. So it was you could talk about your business. I loved it because I would I couldn't wait to put people on hold of PTS because I could tell them about we just installed the Cincinnati Reds. They're waiting on hold. I used to tell the sales guys, leave them on hold. Don't <laughs> pick them up. Because on that, we just produced messages that talk about XYZ, right? Mm-hmm. Or the new T1s that are out. Or T three circuits or whatever, you know. What I mean? So I'm like, leave on, right? So I liked the concept. I thought the concept was good, and so that's where I was like, when they were interested in selling it, I was like, yeah. So I remember walking over to the window when I was talking with the uh, the one guy, and that's like going back and forth, and we finally agreed on the price. But I want that car down there too. Throw that in on the deal. He's like, I don't own that car. I'm like, well, somebody works here. He goes, yeah. Well, hold on a minute. I'm like, just go buy it. Go get a deal. You want to make a deal or not? He's like, hold on a minute. <laughs> He comes back 10 minutes later and he throws the key. I swear to God, it's a true story. He throws the keys on the counter. He says, a done deal. He's like, it'll take a couple days to get the title and stuff. I'm like, totally cool. We got a deal. Damn. So I jumped in my car and drove over there. I swear to you, I get there in the parking lot at the, op- at the office over there. They're loading fax machines in their cars and they're leaving. So I just went in there. I was really nice. And I said, hey, I just bought the business. That's company property. And if you leave the parking lot with it, I'm going to call the police. So take it back inside. So half of them listed, the other half didn't listen, and they took off with the stuff. Anyways, and uh, so that's how it started. So I went in there, and this is where the next thing, this is where initially where it came in. That's when I went in there, and the first thing I do, it was at a big building, and there's a company called Group Effort Studios. So I'm in there meeting the employees, go down and meet the studios. First thing I know, they go, you owe us $7,000. You bought the place, right? Yep. Welcome aboard. They're, they're seven grand behind on... For what? What do, they, what do you guys do for them? So they start explaining me what they do. I'm like, I'll pay you, but I just want to explain to me what it is that you do mm-hmm. because I don't know. And that's where the studio came in. That's what we're doing the voice work. So the voice talents would go down there, just like we're doing here. They'd have mics. They'd mix music. This was all tapes. This was all real tapes. Sure. Cassette tapes. Yep. And then the company was using cassette tape players that you'd buy at Walmart or something mm-hmm. for 30 bucks, And they would plug them in, and you'd play the same route. And I'm in the first time talking with them, and they're showing me what they're doing. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys are recording the same stuff over and over? He's like, yeah, because they only change like one or two messages. They might have 12 messages on there, but they only do one or two changes. But you guys record the whole thing? Right then, I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's when I went back on the big marker board. Remember this? That was the first time that I actually thought about innovation. And I thought to myself, I made a list. I said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to fix that. We're gonna, not going to record the same messages. They're like, am I paying you because you pay studio time at 100 bucks an hour, pay the voice talents based on how many minutes they produce, 
So my first thought was innovate, which is like if you're watching this thing, it's like, okay, like, is there a better way to do this? Because I didn't know the business. I knew a little bit about it. I knew about right. the cassette tapes. We were already making them. But, I mean, I was selling phones. I could, I mean, I could care less. The, the tapes were just something nice to have and sell the phones with. But now I thought, okay, I bought this business. I got money in it. I need to figure out how to make it grow, how to fix it, how to make it scale it, right? And so... Were you out of the other business, by the way? Or were no, you uh, out of it. No. Oh, okay. No, just, just doing it at the same time, kind of just jumped into it. I really wasn't, didn't think it through, really. I just kind of <laughs> jumped in, sure. jumped in, just thought, okay, I'll fix it and figure it out and see what it's worth. So... We uh, just went over there, and that's when I had the idea. One of the first patents I got, which was in 1992, was a track-selectable messaging system. So what I had done in that day, in that first day, and I already came up with the idea and invention how to fix it. So the thing to take away from that is sometimes it's like if I would have gone thinking I need a better mouse or I need a better way to do something, I wasn't thinking that. I was trying to solve a business problem. Money cost. I was looking at what it cost for studio time, what it cost for it, and it led me back, like, how can I change that? Then I went and talked to the writers. I'm like, when you guys write these messages, like, are you rewriting? Like, walk me through it. So I was sitting back, you're all using Macintoshes. By the way, I wish I'd have kept those Macs. They're all worth about 10 grand each now. But we had all these Macs. I went back in this room, and they had this whole room full of Macs and all these writers back there. And I'm back there trying, I don't really know anything about writers or messages. I don't even know how long it takes to do these scripts, right? So I'm back there sitting there watching, and See them, and and they're cutting and pasting. They're only putting, the, so they're only writing the new messages in there. They're not redoing the old ones. So I thought that's good, right? But when it went to the studios, they were doing it from scratch. So that was a good point you made, though. The uh, I've never heard it said that way. Like you solved for a bit. Like you when you innovated, you saw you've heard that, but like he didn't. You didn't look at it like. I'm going to fix this piece of technology. I'm going to focus all my efforts on that. You're like, well, actually, my problem is that I'm spending too much money. Right. I want to solve that problem. I didn't want to invent anything. That was the crazy part. I ended up being an inventor and never wanted, ever thought about being an inventor. And then they just started, once I did the first one and I understood like how patents work, I didn't even know what a patent was. I didn't even know where to get a patent. There was no internet want to read about it. I didn't even know what to do with it. One thing that did happen, though, is I thought, okay, I remember going on spring break and CDs had just come out and they were out there taking the CDs and throwing them on the beach, right? We're all down on the beach. <laughs> and I remember thought, and, the, and I knew that CDs were track selectable. So then I went back to my office and, you know, it wasn't the same day. I mean, you know, weeks went by. I was working on this idea about how to fix this. Right. I thought, what if I put that stuff on CDs in separate tracks? Then you could just program the tracks you want. That seemed pretty simple mm-hmm. on the surface. I thought, okay, I got to find a CD burner. I got how do I burn CDs, right? <laughs> so I'm off to the library, off to Kroger's, getting magazines, and I'm making phone calls. And I find this guy in Michigan, and I told him what I'm looking for, and he's like, I don't have it, but I know somebody might have it. So I call this other guy up in Michigan, and he travels with it's a Marantz system. He's he goes to listen to this. He goes to radio stations and he sells CD players, Marantz players, because. Radio stations were making the move from tape to CD, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can you bring one of those down here to my office? So I talked the guy into it. He comes down. We get it. He brings it in the office. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. Let's take it down to the studios. So I go down to the studios. You guys, something with this? Like, oh, excited. Yeah, it's cool. Bring it down here. All right. So we take it down there. We set it all up. 
put it in there, and I told him what I wanted to do. And he, over the phone, was telling me, I can definitely do that. I can make tracks. So we go down to the studios, and I tell them, pick the last track, last client we did. So we pulled out Stanley Steamer. I said, Stanley Steamer, take that, cut that tape up. I want to put that on a CD, and I want to put each message in a separate track. And this is where it got tough. This is where it got a little technical. The player wasn't really built to do that. And so the first time we did it, we failed. And it, it's kind of like, just, I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me. And we kept going on. And here's a guy selling the, the unit, and he couldn't figure it out. And I'm like, there has to be a way to do this, right? So I'm like, how much just leave the unit? And he's like, well, this is my demo unit. I know. I said, can't you get another demo unit? He's like, yeah. He's like, how much? He's like, they're $12,000. I'm like, twelve grand. So if I had the unit and the studio wanted it, they're like, this is cool. I said, worst case, I can burn a CD with the whole track, and I'll just sell going to CD better sound quality from tape. So I had a use for it. Anyways, I got it for eight grand. I thought, what well, can I sell it to me? He left it. I went back, and on the same marker board, I had this big marker board in the office. I went back there, and I started, like, just throwing things down. Again, I wasn't trying to innovate. I was trying to fix that CD player to do what I wanted. I stumbled on negative seconds. I started thinking to myself, if you record silence, then we can overlap it to where when the when the one message ends, the silence will be overlapped. The next message can take off, so it'll seem together. Bingo. It worked. Light bulb. I went to, light bulb went off. I said I went down to the studio. I said I want you to record uh, 10 seconds of silence in 15. We can mess around. Finally, because this thing cut the CD in 30 second tracks, I had them cut it in 30 second tracks, and then we embedded every other track with silence. And when you programmed it, it would go the message and then back the silence up. You have one second of silence, and then it went to the next one. It was it, it worked out. So then I was like, ooh, that was pretty good. And then I started thinking, okay, and then then. Somewhere along the line, I thought, well, maybe I can patent this. I didn't know anything about patents. Wood Harrington Evans is who I called. Talked to a guy down there. Told him what I did. His name was Hal Necht. Came out to the office. Showed it to him. He's like, I'm like, he said, anything's patentable if it's different. I'm like, okay, how do we know that? He says, we do a patent search. I'm like, how much does that cost? Or 1500 bucks or something. I'm like, do it. So he went and looked at it. And he's like, couldn't find anything. No prior art. I didn't even know what that meant. Like, <laughs> prior art, whatever. It's Greek. I'm like, how much is it going to cost to get a patent? He's like, 10 grand probably. I'm like, okay. 10 grand. 10 grand was a lot of money back then. Oh, yeah. I, was I mean, still, it's today. Yeah, it's I mean, still, it's all relative. Yeah. Well, well, I'm saying back then, so I'm like, to myself, okay, well. Yeah, 10 grand, like it. what? In the 1990s, yeah, a I did different it. than so I thought, Okay. And then I started, we were starting to sell uh, the CD-based systems and the track selectability. It was already paying for itself down at the studios because my studio bill was one-third. I mean, they were only recording the new stuff, putting on CD. Then I started buying CD players from Swallows for 55 bucks. I was buying the B-Stock, which is like stuff that got returned. <laughs> and then we started buying them in the hundreds, and I ran that. Then I had a problem finding CD players. It's not like today's current supply problem, right? I was like, couldn't, I couldn't find CD players. I'm running around buying them all the I was buying up... There was a place out in Montgomery called Alamo Electronics, and uh, I ended up like having them special order shipments in for me to get enough CD players because we were using them like for the consumers. I was like, by then the on hold industry has gotten pretty big, and there was a couple hundred people doing it. And now I had the better mousetrap. I had a system that I could sell. At about the same pricing as everybody else, but it did a lot more. So people were buying the features. Yeah, because they were buying the features and the value. There was more value for the same amount yep. of dollar. I mean, that's it's a winning recipe. You know what the key feature was? The ability to take a message off, the negative side. If you have a message 
that's playing on hold now and you want to take it off, you have to have a whole new tape made. You have to call your production studios. They're going to charge you 500 bucks to make a, make a tape. They're going to mail it out to you because, nope, you know, FedEx wasn't even around. I mean, FedEx wasn't even thought of yet. Sure. And so, you know, it was the mail. You had to mail it in the mail. And so, you know, that's that was the industry. And then not too long after that, um, one of my competitors, Muzak, which is now Move Media, started doing on-hold messaging. And they started bundling the overhead music for stores. And that's how I got in with Sirius XM Radio. One of my VPs, the guy that still works for me today, my my uh, vice president, he I said, dude, get a hold of Sirius and XM. I'm gonna put that radio in that box. We're gonna make these two work together so we can have music and messaging in stores. And so get a hold of them, get somebody here, I'll convince them that we can integrate the software. So you work with sorry to cut you off. That's you right. work with Sirius today? Yeah. Sirius XM? Yeah. So yeah, he's gonna get. Uh, us, he's gonna get his own music. Uh, yeah, so, I, I want. But we got big enough. We have our own music library. Now. Sure, I guess where where I want to go with this. And there's a million different Uns- places to channel go. channel eighty seven <laughs> unscripted exchanges. Hey, we'll get we'll get there. Uh, yeah. I guess I need to be careful how I craft this question. How does Sirius XM compete with like the newer players, such as like the Spotify's of the world and? Apple Music, and maybe you're not that familiar either. I know that's a loaded question, yeah. but like I'm, I'm used to that. Those yeah. types of platforms. I, I mean, I know what Sirius is. I've had Sirius before, right. but like I don't know many younger people <laughs> yeah. that are listening yeah. to Sirius so, XM. So for you to play music in a public place, you have to have six licenses, and so that's the thing. That's why you know there, there's a thing called the Sunny Bono Act. That's Sunny and Share, and that act. He did that when he was in, in politics. And that was for retail business that had less than six speakers or less than 2,000 square feet. You could play the public radio for free in a business establishment. But anything over that, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, now GMR, et cetera, there's six licenses you have to have to play it. There's where the industry came in. And there's where uh, companies like United Media and Mood Media and others came into the business because you had to have those licenses and you couldn't get them yourself. So like I do all the Ikea stores. If you go to Ikea, that's my music. If you go into Speedways, I got thousands of Speedways. I do all the Bells and Burks department stores. There's 800 of them. My guys went in. I was the first guy. Here's another one. I didn't get into this a little bit. Later as we married the music to the box. Wait, the first- so, so so real quick. So Sirius, X, Sirius XM... They have like a corner on like you couldn't go play Spotify there. You that's like open radio. Well, I think well, what he's saying is as long as you're under two thousand square feet, right, or you have s- less than six speakers, then you, you can, can play, play whatever, whatever you, want. you want, right? Correct. And, and that is that is nationwide in the United States, or is that only in the U.S.? Okay, right. Gotcha. Still that way today. And then, I guess the parallel that I'm thinking of here is, I guess from like a food standpoint and you're like, where the hell are you going with this? Like there are inspectors that come in to see if your place is clean. So how do you know if someone's playing music illegally with a larger than 2000 square foot? Well, these guys police it. Ask happy These guys actually police that. So there are inspectors that go into businesses and stuff. Okay. Yep. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a regulated industry. Right. So you have, if you're going to play music to the public, you have to have a license and these government agencies were formed to collect money that are out there. And then, so let, let's, so let's the use government actually did something right. They actually regulated Napster started all this. Napster is the one that, 
that whole Napster thing is what emerged the whole music industry. Before this, Muzak had a monopoly because they were delivering music by satellite. When I went to Sirius and said, you guys already deliver music by satellite to boats, planes, and everything else. Let's deliver it to commercial business. And they like, well, that makes sense. And I said, let's put, but we'll deliver it with control. And this is where my second invention came out. And actually, this invention is the one that changed the entire music industry, which is crazy. Here's a guy in Cincinnati, Ohio, running a small business who develops a platform that the entire commercial the entire commercial music industry runs on my platform. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it is because what I did was I said software control, give the client control. Because what I had learned is that people want to be able to log in and choose a channel they want to be on. You were hitting like today you guys are used to control. We're used to having back in the day you didn't have online banking. You didn't, everything you guys had <laughs> right. online. We didn't have anything online, right? There was yeah. nothing online. Yeah. So my first, it was in 1996, I rolled it with what I called InfoLink. So I had taken my 1992 invention, and I added music, and I thought, that's patentable. I had learned, I had four patents by then, and that's why I knew how patents work. I had my patent guy. <laughs> yeah, so I called him. He missed there, a, he patented There were three more patents in the middle of there of stuff, other stuff. So then, I, so then I went and got, I thought, okay, I'm going to add software. I'm going to build this remote box. And this is a guy named James Dabb down in Atlanta that I ended up meeting. He actually helped me build the InfoLink system. Cole used to go down there. When he was, you know, this high, and he'd run around the parking lot. He's he still he not knows that James. high. I'm kidding. There's, there's a story behind that because he actually knows James Daz very well. And he, I do. In his first business venture, he, him and James actually talked about the technology. So this guy got with me. We took my idea and, and what I had put together for a patent, and he helped me bring it to life. And I was so proud of the first device I built. It was like 400 bucks to manufacture it. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow. Love this product. No way can I sell that box for 400 But I went back and thought, I don't have to sell a box for 400 What I need to do is lease it to them over a three- or five-year period, bundle it into the music so they're buying a monthly payment. Right. And bury the hardware in there. And that's how that ended up. That's fascinating. Did you just turn the... Did I turn it all the way down? There was a ringing sound, so that's why I was... Was your ring? You can have a drink if you need, Dad. I didn't. Uh, no, I was saying you can. <laughs> you've, been, okay. you've been talking quite a bit. I've been over here drinking all my water. <laughs> yeah. We're, we've been the quiet on ones over here. Yeah. So, again, there's a million different ways we could take this or I could take this. You definitely have a ton of experience. You're very successful. You've been very successful. I know we were talking uh, off air earlier. There's people that come to you for you know advice and stuff, but share it with the broader network here. What advice would you give to any young entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur that wants to start a business? Like, what would you tell them? Because everyone wants to, not everyone, a lot of young people want to go out and start their own company. But the reality is, it's not that easy. No, it's not. In fact, it's like, I was Scoot the mic a little bit closer to your mouth. That's okay. I was thinking, there we go. One of the things I'd say to somebody is, I think about a mountain climber. Mm-hmm. You didn't fall up there. Remember right. That cliche, climb up there. So, yeah, this interview, you'll look at this and think this was easy. You know, what a, that's why I want that to be my story. There was a lot of work. Right. Those are a all success of, stories. They correct, do the highlights. I'm giving yeah. you the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of work. A lot went on. To get to the top, you got to work. It's mm-hmm. a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And you got to look at the man in the mirror and you got to like keep pushing forward. But I will say that number one, Look at the stories I'm telling. Pick a good industry. So you you have, and, and I always believe that the best idea is a copied one. Fast followers. The people who followed me did really well. People who followed me selling phone systems 
did really well. They did. I I was the first. My brother and I were the first one selling phones in Cincinnati, but there was twenty of them in town by the time it was over. They all did well. They all made good money. So you don't have to be the first to market. Love that. So be looking for good ideas and copy them. You see something that's good, the artist on the bandwagon. <laughs> Number two, um, I think don't expect success overnight. It's not going to happen. Oh yeah. Neither one of these stories was successful overnight. They took a lot of work, and so. Uh, that is another thing that they, it takes 10 years, I believe. I know a lot of business people, they all sing the same tunes, about 10 years, roughly before you really feel like you got a handle on the industry, the business, you got things where you're starting to feel pretty good. Things are really starting to click, you know, my first business that it clicked pretty quick. So got lucky that, but that was hitting a new industry. I mean, come on. Selling something, everybody's renting. I mean, I'd love to have an industry like that today. Show me an industry where everybody's renting something. You can come in there and sell it to them. Right. Hello, I'm in that business. But I think that that would be the and the second thing I think that I would emphasize is the innovation part. You're, as you hear, like the second business I got in and I innovated, I was really after an angle. Perception's reality. The, the sales part of it. If you're going to be in business, you have to know sales. You have to know, sales. or you have to have a partner that knows sales. But you have to know. First thing on an income statement is sales. Nothing happens without sales. And so, you know, I think that is a big part of it. I was going to tell you guys a story earlier where the guy that still works with me today, he's our VP of United Media. Him and I went to Hess Corporation, the big, huge Hess company, their headquarters in New York, huge building. We pulled in the parking lot. There's buildings like 20 stories high. <laughs> but I, I was used to selling big jobs from the other from the interconnect. I was used to selling Two three hundred thousand dollar jobs in big companies. So big companies didn't phase me at all. I was used to the BS and the time and all. I knew what it took to do it. And Kevin had worked in the insurance business and he knew also what it took because he worked for a big insurance company. So him and I were seasoned sales guys. So we crawled in. What was interesting is we had just finished the partnership with Sirius XM. The product barely worked. We had no techs working for us. <laughs> Listen to this. This is this is the funny part. We had no techs working for us. And we had uh, no references. So we had this product called Infolink, right? And I thought, and they were looking for a new for music in all their stores. So it was like 660 stores. They didn't have any sound systems. It sounds like an amp and speakers and wires. They didn't have any of that. And they had found 11 companies. I don't know where they came from. They were in the music business, right? To bid on this, right? So here we are, no references. This is the point. If you get anything from this interview, get this perceptions reality we went in there we had the software the link system we had a, a far so we had the silver bullet we had a superior product by far right so we this we focused on the product and selling that and then earlier in the career of the company i knew that we were small when i first bought it i went back a little bit i missed this part it was a racing team i started when we first got into the CD player, when I rolled it out, my first thought was there was thousands of interconnects, just like PTS, all over the country. And they all think on-hold messaging is cool, but they didn't know where to get it. So I brought out the first pre-packaged CD-based on-hold messaging system, and I wanted a picture of a ra- I didn't want them second-guessing. Well, if we refer a client, they were all paranoid about well, if we recommend you guys or we use your studios and you guys don't do the job, we're going to make the client look bad. Their biggest fear was we would not succeed. We would not deliver the product. So, you know, I thought 
I'm going to go sponsor a race team. I'm going to put our logo all over the car. I bought the thing over. And I'm going to have a racing team. And I'm going to put it all over the box. And so when my sales guys go out and talk to these interconnects, they're not going to question the company because these guys got a racing team. They must be rolling in cash, right? And it worked like a charm. They never questioned the company. They never questioned whether we could deliver or not. And that's what happened. So I used that same thing years later at the Hess Corporation. We, Kevin and I focused on the product, showing the software. It was so cool, it barely worked, right? We <laughs> sold them a $1.2 million contract. I hired six techs. This was in my, we, we, we contracted to put in the link system in all their 620 sites. And it was like $1.3 million to put it in. We had to put the Are they figure. still a customer? I hope they're listening to this. So Hess got bought by Speedway. They're still a customer today. Those sites that we installed in 2000, 1999 are still in today. Damn. Operating. Speedway bought Hess, and they're still in there to this day. Now, they've evolved. Our new our product, we're big enough now. We stream our own product. We have our own library. We built our own Yeah, network. I mean, this was, this was, this first was way back. Yes. But believe it or not, and so the thing was, we I was talking to him before I came in here. I told him, like, and shout out to you, Kevin. Happy birthday. He's 58 today. And Oh, happy birthday, of, Kevin. Happy yep, birthday. Shout out to him. And I told him I was going to talk to him a little bit about on the on the show today. But I said, you know, the thing was, we still laugh about that today. Cause we couldn't believe we pulled that off. And, and the thing was, <laughs> and then he came back and he's like, you really get this put in? I'm like, can you really? You, look, man, we told him all this stuff. Of course I can. Dude, I own an interconnect. I know how to put stuff in. I know how to hire guys. So I went and bought six trucks, ran the interviews. I had them all hired within like three weeks. We put them through quick training. All you had to do was put an amplifier, run a cable, put speakers in. I was in the interconnect business. Kevin didn't realize like how technical the interconnect business is. This was child's play. I mean, this was nothing. You know, getting them to go on the road, live on the road, just had to make the money sweet. You know, and we, our techs today, they live on the roads. They're out. We do kind of like the firemen. We have them out for like eight days and they're off eight days. So it works out good. So we've learned over the years how to keep. I'm the only guy has got trucks. I'm the only guy has got techs to this day. That to me, as you looked at all the technology we have, I think our biggest advantage the sales reps have is we have our own trucks. We're facilities based. That's a big thing. You know what I mean? I tell the sales guys all the time. But, That's your competitive advantage, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Again, go back to this. It, does it sound cool that you have your own trucks? I always say, look at what people want. They want working sound systems. Mm-hmm. They want good messaging and they want good music. Don't worry about all the rest of it. And now, Ever since we evolved InfoLink, it has a web portal. You can log and control your music. All my competitors have it now. So do you have top-of-the-line sound systems in your own personal home? No. No? Oh, okay. No, not really. Interesting. In fact, I don't even have do I, have, I don't even have sound systems at home. No. We use like a... Uh, in fact, we did the 4th of July at my house. We Dude, we, we use like we a... We didn't even have a boombox. No. <laughs> oh, my that's, gosh. That's wild. Yeah, it was what we... <laughs> we were talking about, like, we need to get one of those little boxes. Literally, there's like... Bluetooth some, boxes. There's yeah. some stuff, like, dude, I'm telling you, like, my dad... Like, I mean, he started off, you know, growing up, we'd always bitch and complain. Even to this day, like, the Wi-Fi in the house is, like, sketchy, okay? And I'm like, you own a, I, like, you own, you started, like, a telecom company that's, like, now a managed IT company that does telecom. Right. And we still, like, can barely get internet upstairs in the house. Like, you've got to be kidding it's an me. Old, it's a 1951 house. The thing's got, like, oh my three-foot floors. Concrete. Oh, my, I've heard it all It's got now. plaster walls. Yeah. It's got the old mess. And I did bring out, to my defense, Rick, <laughs> Rick Reynolds, my cousin, came out. And, and wired he, it. He, we, hooked, we hooked up the latest Wi-Fi. We could get it to work. We hooked it all up. That means he's the house a genius. is built well. Huh? That means the house is built well. There's no the show, too. Have you talked to him? Oh, he's going to come on. He, he's... he's 
Dude, his story is incredible. I mean, he's, he's like, he runs like racing. the four race team. Yeah, dude. Like, this guy's like the racing guy. You need him on here. Going sure. back to the marketing part from like earlier on, your dad was doing like the old school clout chasing to some extent. Dude, 100%. Which is smart as hell. Like, you want to go after these big players. He literally and just, and just point to them, be like, hey, like so and so. It's marketing so- speaks for itself. Like, Jones hey, factor. I did business with this person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, oh, this guy's legit. The best way to convince people, like remember the old Jaws movie, mm-hmm. in that one part where they went in the water and the mayor was saying go in the water. The safest way to keep people going in the water is go in there first. And so, just think about that for a minute. So, so they use the Jones factor. When I would say to anybody consulting with them or telling them with your business, you got the buyer has to feel it's safe. And, and the bigger the companies, they don't want to take the risk. I mean, when you go to a company that's got three hundred locations, they already have a vendor selling them X. It's a risk to switch to you. They have to be really mad at that vendor. There has to be a service problem or there has to be a huge savings or your technology is better. But you look at that part and that's where if, you, if you've come up with a business where your technology is that much better than the competitors or, or it's just a fast follower, there's, there's a lot of market share. And so competition you know, is good. Competition is good. You don't. Yeah. What's like, that saying you always say to me? Hold on. I love when you say it. There's a, if there's a. What? If there's a Coke, there's a... Oh, there's a Pepsi. Yeah, there's a... He says to me every, every time we talk about business, he's like, dude, there's a Coke, there's a Pepsi. Right. Yeah, oh, they're every, both huge. They're both big. Yeah, you don't have to like... To <laughs> I be, love that. You don't have to have a right? new industry. You don't have to have a new idea. I think that I think that people think when they go into business, they have to come up with the... Brand new. Sure, cancer. Right. You don't need that. You right. just need to look at something that's really working. Look, heating and air conditioning industry, here's another thing I thought about talking about. It's highly fragmented. Right, not, I'm not trying to use fancy words. Holly Friedman just means there's a lot of independent people that own them, right? Yep. You don't, and they're all over the place, right? Because that industry allows you to get the hardware with the training, and the consumers are all over the place. There's houses everywhere, and they want to buy heating or air. There's a large consumption of it. You could start a successful heating and air company tomorrow. Look at Apollo. That guy's amazing. Jamie Gerson. That guy is a marketing genius. He's good. Look what he's done. He he. 16 years ago when I bought my house, he came over and he engineered the one in my house because it had like these old systems that are in the old conveyor systems that were in there. Right. And we went in and put like 11 ton system in one area and then there's another area we put another one. And he came up with this idea and we got to talking about it and it's all, and he's grown and grown and grown. It's all marketing. It's perception. You know what I mean? So you go back to that and think, whatever it is I'm selling, what is the buyer and what are they thinking when they're buying it? And do they consider it risk? If you're selling to the owner, then the owner's used to risk. That's an easy sale. If he sees the benefit in it, you'll sell to him or her. If you're going to a bigger company, Cole knows this is very well. Yeah. It's a totally different animal, the big company, because whoever you're selling to has to believe you're going to make them look better because they're going to be stuck <laughs> yeah, you, with you. You can't make them look bad. Yeah. No. They have to, whatever you recommend or say you're going to sell them, you better deliver on it because that's a big part of it. Because they're next on the line. They're next on the line. That's yep. right. It's, they're never going to lose their job doing nothing. Right. They're only going to lose their job doing something stupid. Like changing something out or doing something different. I, I think that I would also go back to say that if you want to go into business for yourself, you can, you will. Just have to set your mind to it. Don't overcomplicate it. And I also think you have to weigh, it's also great to work for somebody else. There's pros and cons to both. When you're working for yourself, it's you, you're at risk, you're working all the time, you don't get a lot of time off, and everything falls on you. You're, you're like the, you're the fireman. You got to put the fire out. So in the, in the part that comes, there's a lot of money in it. And yeah, you do live a pretty nice life and you do get all the bells and whistles. Don't get me wrong. But you can, that's, versus you can have your cake and eat it too in today's environment. So I'm not like a big advocate. You have to be self-employed or you have to be the other way. I think right. either way of those are good. I think you, 
I think entrepreneurs are wired that way. I think there's a lot to it. I think you, you might be one. You know, I was one. I didn't know it. But then I eventually figured it out because I ended up working for myself. Right. And so I quickly, and then once I figured it out, I quickly got better at it. So I liked it. You know, and I still like it today. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. So, so and, and so some of the, like, the, the, the past stories or the things that, like, you know, my, my journey along the way. Uh, it's been awesome. It's been pretty so good. I'm gonna I, we've 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 we have I think we've exhausted you with this episode, <laughs> but I want to ask you one closing thing, Dad, because I think this yeah. is awesome. Right, um, and then we want to have you back on too oh, in the future. Course. Yeah, it's yeah. a no brainer. We can, we can yeah. go so much further with this. Yeah, uh, like I said, you got like five percent. Super quick, super easy one. I'm just gonna hit you with one because some of the quick hitters easy to like. You don't like Skyline or Gold Star, really, anyways. So what's if, that? You like Skyline or Gold Star? Gold Star's a client. I like Gold Star. Yeah, I okay, would like but, Skyline if they had our music. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, I just knew it. I, knew so I, I drive different. by Skyline and going to Gold Star. <laughs> Gold Star, if you're listening. And United Dairy Farmers is genius because UDF just signed and we're putting them in right now. So all those new stores you go to, UDF, that's my music. Hey, UDF, partner with Unscripted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, there you go. The, so They're geniuses. Everything. What advice would you give to your younger self? So... Um, life it could be like it doesn't have to be just business like what advice would you give to to your younger self how what age am i like where am i at <laughs> yeah. let's let's okay it let's, could be your younger self uh, as of yesterday right or it could have been uh, when you're 10 let's years old let's just say what advice would you give to yourself uh let's say when you were in the I, midst I the of having kids and starting the businesses and that stuff i give you and all my kids it's the stuff i say today everything i say to you there's your answer because i'm giving you you learn the most from your mistakes. And so when you see someone you love, your children doing something that you know from past experience is probably going to end up in the ditch, you say to them, hey, Bad idea. you sure you want to do Yeah, I'm not sure. Look, you know, I, I believe you're a parent and then you become a friend. If you if you you got to remain a parent to a certain point and then you have to transition to become a friend. My dad was good at that. He realized that. I learned that because... The way your children will be around you the most is if they view you as a friend and they don't need you to be their dad their whole life. And so I think that's a big learning part. So I, Damn, I, I've never heard that. That's so insightful. Yeah. Yeah. you got to know to transfer and let your children make the mistakes. But I, I think they're more likely – you'll listen to a friend sometimes a lot more than you'll listen to – A parent being chastising you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So if you try to say, look, I did that, was, you know, and here's what happened to me, how I did it, you know – you each want, but it didn't work out too well for me. So, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, kind of the advice, you know, like things have changed a lot. I mean, I, I and I think the thing is like, when I said, I think this economy is, I want to get this in before we're done. I think this is the roaring twenties. Mark my word. This will go down. We have this video. I think this economy is not, it's going to stall a little bit. Unless something really bad happens overseas, something stupid like Taiwan gets invaded. I think we're going to stutter right through this little recession, but I think there's too much innovation right now. Even as much as Washington has lost and the stuff they're doing, they're trying to push electric cars too quick and it's driving some inflation up, the economy is supercharged. There's too much innovation. And I think that's not, I don't think we're going to see a huge, I think we're going to see a little bit of a slowdown, but I think you guys are going to see an amazing, like they say, you should say back in the roaring 20s. That money was everywhere and people were just doing great. Look at what's going on now. I would agree. The, the future is faster than you think and brighter than you think. Yeah, it's a mindset. We, we had great billionaires. Yeah. These guys, these billionaires were spending their money. They're trying, to go, they're trying to, to go. Star Trek. I saw Star Trek out your lobby out there. <laughs> Star Trek. They're trying to go to. They're doing good things. They're not just sitting back 
You know, and, and here's another thing I also say. All the storms and all the global warming, let's what? The insurance companies are writing checks. You cannot, if you have a war or you have bad weather, you cannot have a recession. Mm-hmm. Think about it. All this bad weather, checkbooks are out. Contractors are hired. They're fixing things as fast as they're breaking because of the weather. So you got the weather, the wars. I see business you know. opportunities all over the place. Exactly. Remember that movie War Dogs and those guys? Dude, that's so funny. Dude, that's the, what the one part? The one part that's hilarious is when uh, they did stupid dude, stuff. But is that they, with they Miles had, Teller? When, yeah, dude, dude. With uh, what's Jonah Hill? Remember yeah. when they they go? Dude, they go, he's uh, a great actor. That the, guy. The best part is when they're sitting in the. They won that big government contract, right? And they're sitting in the meeting. And they're like, they're like, uh, yeah, we were just so surprised with like how much lower you came in than everybody else. <laughs> right. And he says, he goes, they look at each other like. Lower? They're like, yeah, significantly lower. And he goes, do you mind? Uh, do you mind just telling us how much lower? They're like, oh my god, you are forty-seven million dollars <laughs> lower than the next. They were laughing at him. And yeah. He goes, he goes, fuck, he gets, fuck. He's yeah. like, <laughs> I know. You know the crazy part is that the part where they got they got caught because they didn't pay that one contractor. How stupid was that? Oh, the guy, the guy they had doing the repacks yeah. over in uh. Let's close with this. I want to get this for the viewers. Okay. Yeah. I have two cufflinks. See this cufflink? It's mm. kind of boring. Yeah. Silver. Yeah. Hey, I consider that my operations cufflink, and this is my flashy salesman. I did this to remind myself because what I've learned over the years was I was really good at one, and the other one fell apart. Or you know, what I mean, it's like I always never really was big on the operational side of the business. I was always, always loved the sales, the adrenaline of the sales, the salespeople selling, bringing in kind of love it. Right. But what I learned in owning the business and running it. You have to care about both. So listeners that keep that in mind, because if you're really good at the operation side, you better figure out the sales. Just side. Get a good partner. That's good at one of them. Or yes. Yeah. And my brother and I were, we were both sales and operations. He ran operations. I ran sales and we, we rock and rolled. Oh yeah. So that, that was the winning combination. Love it. So, awesome. Well, dad. Awesome. 50 awesome, awesome. was a banger. Dude, oh, just back. as we expected. Yeah. I can't believe we're at episode 50. What a great way to bring it in. Dude. I know. Can you believe that we've done 50 and dude. we're only halfway yeah, through the you year? Guys, you got you got the the vibe. You got the We got, got the vibe exactly. You got the vibe. Dude, we're, we're vibing. Only, we're only getting better, too. We say it at the end of every episode. Yeah. I mean, look where we are now versus where we started. I know you're a pretty loyal listener. I mean, we yeah. Episode one through ten were probably a little rough, and every now and then we have an episode that might not be as great. But again, that's the great thing about podcasting is you get to pick and choose whatever the hell you want to listen to. Dude, my first sales call was pretty rough, <laughs> but isn't that fascinating? I yeah. know we said we were going to wrap up though, is to look back at where you were and where you are today. You get to see that growth. Agreed. Yep. Pretty awesome. Well, thank you guys All for right. listening. Thanks for joining. Yep. Thanks Dad, for coming on. We'll have you again. We'll definitely have you on again. Episode there's, a, there's a lot more to get Episode in. Episode 100. Look at yeah. that. Mark it. One, Dude, mark 100. it down. Check mark it. Um, 100. Hayden, thank you as always. Way to rock it. Right. Guys, thanks for listening. And we will be uh, rolling out this episode and more to come.